Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba, Managing Partner of Growth Cap. In this episode, we chat with Dave Greenberg and Sukin Vakil, General Partners of JMI Equity, the leading growth equity firm focused on the software sector. Since 1992, they have been highly regarded as the preferred capital partner for software CEOs and entrepreneurs. Investing out of their latest fund of $1.2 billion, they take very seriously their role in supporting companies on their path to victory. We cover a lot of ground in this conversation, from how JMI helps companies scale to the pressing issue of COVID-19 and what management teams can do today to protect and maybe even strengthen their business. We hope you enjoy the show. So Dave and Sukin, thanks so much for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. For our folks, the folks in our audience would be great to get a little background on each of you. And, you know, as part of this, you know, would like to cover uh, what's happening in, in the current environment. Typically, we would, you know, go through history of a firm and um, various other current events that are happening. The main current event, obviously, is covid 19 and and how it's impacting the economy as well as the the software sector. Um, so maybe what we do is we kick off with a bit of background and then we'll hit the main topic and then we'll we'll just chat from there on. Sounds good. Sounds good, RJ. So this is uh, Dave Greenberg talking. I'm a general partner at JMI. Uh, have been with the firm about 15 years and. We're a growth equity investor in software. That's what we've done since 1992. Pretty consistent growth strategy and uh, in partnership with founder entrepreneurs. Uh, and delighted to be talking to you today about uh, what we do and then how we're impacted by the current environment. And, and RJ, this is Sukin Vakil. I'm also a general partner here at JMI. I've been with the firm about eight years and, you know, very excited to have this conversation. So thanks for having us. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks again for joining. And and for the broader uh, audience who may not be as, as familiar with, um, you know, software uh, investors or the growth equity space, uh, JMI Equity is one of the preeminent uh, firms. They've been um, in growth equity for a long time are very well respected in the space. Um, and so, you know, maybe, you know, one thing is, and having been in, you know, the, the broader private equity industry and, you know, more specifically growth equity, um, having always uh, seen and heard and interacted with the JMI as kind of the leading investors, um, maybe you could shed some light on how JMI kind of developed this reputation in the industry? Sure. Uh, so the initial money in our fund was from a software entrepreneur, John Moores, who was a product-oriented uh, guy who started BMC Software. So we've always come at the software markets from the perspective of finding the best product offerings that were driving the most value for customers. Um, all along, it's been how do we take companies from where they were at, you know, usually five to 30 or 40 million in ARR and get them to the next stage through capital, but 
always operational help, help building their teams, help making the strategic decisions to really grow their companies. So in general, we weren't, we weren't taking super early stage risks, but we were looking to help build great companies and every function around a great product. So that, that's been the history since 1992. We've had good success, so we've grown the capital under management. Uh, the first fund was 50 million and the, the current fund, JMI9, is 1.2 billion. Uh, but we've maintained a pretty similar strategy as I just described. Knowing uh, folks at your firm for some time now, you seem to have a very good, uh, not only good understanding about the software industry, but you're able to develop very strong relationships with CEOs. And I've, I've witnessed that firsthand. Uh, has that been part of the ethos of JMI since since the beginning? It, re- it really has. You know, I think for us, um, when we, you know, have from the founding of our firm as as Dave described, you know, um, and when John really um, put the first capital, you know, into sort of young software companies to help them grow, the mantra of finding extremely talented teams that we can invest with um, to really grow software companies has been you know, part of, as you described, the ethos of our culture. Um, and it was really one of supporting entrepreneurs and, you know, the path to victory. And so as we think about a, a lot of you know, our sort of domain knowledge around enterprise software, it's bringing that to bear across a large number of companies to help those teams really succeed, you know, in a way they couldn't without our our advice and knowledge. And so a lot of that um, symbiotic relationship that we develop, you know, generates what, you, what I think you, you're talking about, what you've seen firsthand, which is that true trusted relationship and trusted partnership with our management teams, because we're in it, you know, not only at one company, but across the portfolio to really help drive the most strategic decisions that they need to make. And I can imagine when COVID-19 started making waves, you know, first in Asia and then gradually across, you know, the world, you know, immediately business leaders are thinking, well, how is this going to impact my business and, and what should I be thinking about? What should I be doing uh, to mitigate, you know, the risks, you know, and the ripple effect that COVID-19, you know, could have, you know, what were some of the things that, you know, were top of mind for you, you know, as you were thinking about portfolio and and, and the teams that you were supporting, how did you want to advise some of your, uh, the teams you work with? Yeah. So, um, I mean, in the first place, I'm, very pleased with the quality of management teams we have across our 29 companies. They've moved quickly to try to address uh, the challenges that, that come with this environment. Uh, in some cases, or in more than some cases, we have optimistic growth-focused folks uh, running our company. So part of our job was to get all the people together and make sure they understood the gravity of the situation as far back as we could. I think we started having our CEOs get together uh, virtually every week, starting maybe six weeks ago, to talk about the challenges they were seeing. But the playbook, um, you know, at a high level is pretty simple. It's you have to conserve cash. You have to look at every way you can do that. You have to protect recurring revenue. Our companies are 
85% of revenues recurring with uh, retention rates in the 90s. So you've got to focus on customers, make sure you can really protect the cash that's coming into the business and those customer relationships. And then as we look towards the future, how can we ensure we keep investing in the products that we have and be poised, you know, whenever it is in a month or two months, three months, when there is more certainty in the world to take advantage of the opportunities that will come from this, whether it's hiring some of the best people who are no longer part of a travel or hospitality software company, uh, whether it's, you know, doing some additional uh, buy side M&A in the portfolio, as much as we can, we're trying to get through the planning and uh, strategy exercises that this environment demands so that we can focus on the opportunities that will come out of it. You know, presumably there is some resiliency across software. If, if you think about businesses not being able to, to rip out their software for a, you know, temporal uh, blip in, in business activity, but how do you, you know, and maybe this is more specific to, to to companies that you you currently support. But you know, what's the view on the overall impact of COVID nineteen on the software sector? Yeah, RJ, I think you hit on some you know, great points. Um, and specifically, you know, I think as we think about our you know, historical sort of view on the software economy and where we've you know invested our capital. It's been in you know solutions companies and teams that really drive you know high customer value, and so you know I think Dave mentioned it you know but our our portfolio generally runs in the ninety percent plus you know gross retention zone, and so what we don't expect is that folks will you know start to turn off some of that really critical software that helps them run their businesses, and so that I think we are are you know haven't seen and you know and I think we we don't expect that to change. Where we do think there is going to be impact is going to be on on new sort of new logos, new bookings, both from existing customers and from new customers. I think it's fair to say, um, you know, that you know large organizations or mid-sized organizations in the current environment, you know, thinking about adopting software that's really going to change, you know, the way they operate their business, um, is a difficult time to do that. You know, folks are really more concerned about. Um, some of the health impacts of their workforce transitioning to a work-from-home environment. And so that, I think, across the portfolio, and of course, some sectors, you know, like hospitality or travel more than others, um, are going to be impacted in the near term around the velocity of new decisions slowing down. And, you know, I think a lot of what Dave describes, I think, is the way that we are working with our management teams, which is understand that accept that you know new reality at least in the north in the short term but continue to make investments and so you know all of our companies are growth focused you know software companies so make the investments that on the other side of, of you know this crisis um, really to help drive more customer value and be positioned for more growth and more competitive differenti- you know differentiation um, and a lot of that does mean more investment in product you know and, and given that there's still you know, heightened uncertainty, you know, on, on various levels in the current environment. Do you do you kind of pause before you make, you know, investments in new companies and, and kind of see how things shake out? Or are you already starting to formulate your thesis on, 
you know, how you can kind of work with the current environment and with an eye towards, you know, opportunities that you, you see now? Yeah, good question. On the, on the new investing front, you know, our particular situation is we have half of uh, an existing fund to deploy and, you know, the, our customers, our LPs, uh, pay us to do that. So our, our plan is to continue to invest in great companies. Um, in the short term, you know, weeks, maybe months, but not much longer than that. Our challenge is really understanding the, uh, pr- the forecast of any, uh, prospect we're looking at and making sure we can have a view on what their business will look like for the next 12 to 24 months. So we're working on doing that, especially with companies we've gotten to know over a long period of time. Uh, because we want to continue to remain active uh, in this environment. It's a, it's certainly an uncertain time, and what we're very conscious of is not promising uh, things to entrepreneurs and companies that that you know we can't deliver in this environment. But we are you know continuing to look at investment opportunities. What would you add to that, Sukin? No, I think, I mean, you know, Arjun, it's, it's no, uh, probably everybody, you know, experiences it right now, which is that the velocity of, you know, private investing across the board, you know, has slowed down pretty considerably. And that's, you know, not unique to JMI. Um, and, but I think as Dave described, you know, the, the, the openness to look at new investments, I think, still is very high. And, you know, I think the, the thing that we will need to work very closely with our, you know, new teams that will be coming into the portfolio is to navigate how they see the impact of the current environment and how they view sort of the strength of their business coming out of it. And that's what we're, we're going to need to be judging. And kind of a tough question, but, you know, I'm sure it's on the minds of a lot of software CEOs, uh, especially ones that are, you know, in the market for capital. What do you think about valuations today and, and, you know, how they may play out? Yeah, it's, you know, the hardest part about valuations in the software economy um, is that we we value companies based off their their forward, you know, potential. So forward ARR, forward revenue, that's a lot of the the metrics that, you know, folks look to on, on growth software companies. And the question today is, well, what is Ford? How do we really project, you know, the, the, the Ford, um, you know, financials of a particular company? And so I think, you know, it was we, folks like to think about valuation in terms of multiples, um, that's, you know, usually the way that folks in our industry talk about it. I think what will happen is we'll see some realignment. But even if you look back to the Great Recession in 08 and 09, you know, the kind of at the, the bottom of that, um, the trough of that, most public companies in the growing software companies were trading at five times forward. So there was some realignment, but not maybe as significant as you would have expected. I think we'll probably see the same, which is there will be some realignment. We will need to obviously adjust valuation to, um, for, for the change in, you know, forward performance that we expect from all the companies, but it probably won't be as significant as maybe, you know, other sectors are going to experience during this downturn. To add to that, RJ, I would just say we're, you know, we're trying to invest in great businesses and we pay premium forward multiples to do that. I think we'll continue to do that. The big question is just the forward multiple. What are you, you know, what's forward booking? To Sukin's point, what's forward revenue? But I do expect 
SaaS multiples to continue to be strong given the quality of these businesses. And which areas uh, within software are, are each of you most keen on or, or where you spend the most time? Yeah, one of the spots that I'm spending a lot of time in these days is supply chain, which um, we do think, you know, coming out of this will have uh, a lot of realignment, just given the, the intense impact uh, companies are seeing to demand and also the supply side of their businesses. That's an area we think there'll be some acceleration coming out of, of uh, this impact. I think, you know, for me, what one area I've actually, I'm spending a lot of time with is um, product-related um, um, areas of software. So, you know, for example, PLM, uh, PDM, you know, PIM management, but anything really related to products and product development. And, you know, maybe what we could do is, is we're, we're kind of running out of time here, but maybe what we could do is hear a little bit of how you've worked with companies in the past, you know, our, our uh, podcast centers around um, business growth um, and helping provide some insight to CEOs and, and entrepreneurs on how to accelerate growth in their business. Um, and by definition, you know, JMI as a growth equity firm is particularly skilled at helping um, entrepreneurs and, and and executive teams. So maybe you know, if you wouldn't mind uh, talking talking about a situation each where you were able to come in and, and help a team scale. Sure, sure. One uh, one uh, recent investment that, that we're proud of is a, in a company called Automotive Mastermind, which provided uh, analytics and marketing automation software for automotive dealerships. We were able to partner with two incredible founders, Marco Schnabel and Johannes Nauck, who were the two leading salespeople at Mercedes-Benz Manhattan. And they seek to build a product that replicated how they were so successful selling uh, premium cars. Uh, when we got involved, the business was mid-teens ARR. They had a phenomenal product and lots of demand. And what we really helped them do is build a company around that. You know, we helped build out sales and marketing. We helped recruit a senior team, a CFO. Uh, VP of operations, a head of engineering, and we're able to help them take the company in about a year from 75 employees to 220. Uh, a really neat business, a really strong product, helping their customers sell more cars. Uh, and it ended up being uh, just a little bit more than a year partnership on, on the very short end for us in that they had a strategic acquirer, IHS Market, who owned Carfax who was interested in the business and felt like they could bring their data to our software platform and make the software even more valuable. So a great partnership with them, a really impressive uh, founding team that we were able to help take to their next stage. And they've been very successful as part of a strategic uh, combination. Great. Suke? Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll talk about um, an investment we made back in August of 2017, a company called Arena Solutions. What the company does, it provides product lifecycle management and quality management software for folks really making, you know, any product that would integrate a mechanical and electrical component. So, you know, in today's environment, even your toaster has Wi-Fi in it. So if you have 
software combined with the mechanical product and you're you know, producing that product. You need one core system of record to actually design and create that product, and that's what Arena provides. Um, so we did a growth buyout, as I mentioned, in August of 2017. So you know, it's a little been a little bit more than two and a half years owning the business, um, and we you know, nearly doubled the revenue in, in the company. Um, so you know, the company was about 25 million in revenue at that time. It'll probably cross you know close to 50 relatively soon. And then along with that, we also took the company from break even to generating pretty significant EBITDA. Um, and a lot of the ways that we did that was partnering with the CEO um, and the management team to really drive very deep focus on the sectors which they were most, you know, differentially, uh, sustainably differentiated relative to the competition and really drive higher velocity, higher price points, and really more customer value out of the solution that they had provided, been providing. They're the only cloud provider in the mid-market PLM space, and that's a pretty significant investment for you know, any manufacturer to make, but also a really important one, and even more important given the COVID-19 crisis, and also the, the trade war with China, to have a resiliency in your manufacturing process, which Arena is able to help drive. Um, and part of what we did along with that focus is we also then you know, did some M&A. We acquired one of our competitors in the market, Omnify, which really bolstered the product as well. Um, and a lot of that investment you know, helped drive more customer value, which is demonstrated in the retention rate, which improved from you know, mid-80s to, to you know, above 90%. So there's a lot of success there and you know, a lot of tactics, but also a lot of strategy to help the company continue to grow. I think we're very excited about you know where Arena's position, you know, even despite our current environment, and where Arena will head after it. Fantastic. Well, those are two great uh, examples of uh, how you know each of you were able to help uh, companies scale. Um, I want to thank. You. We're just about out of time. I want to thank you uh, for being generous with your time and and um, imparting some of your insights uh, for our audience. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Sukin. Thanks, RJ. Really Thanks a lot, RJ. Time.